Have you guys seen the latest uh, Guardians of the Galaxy? Yeah. Yeah. I it was good. It was, it was pretty good. But I like they milk I am Groot to the max and I loved it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, they kind of had to because yeah. everyone fell in love with baby Groot. And so yeah. it was clear that that was going to be. So, yeah. When he's when he's playing around with the big bomb thing at the end of the movie, that that's funny. That's hilarious. Anyway, yeah. I couldn't stop giggling. I really like this, the scene where he sent off to retrieve some artifact from the bad guys. Goodness, that's room. funny. Well, the other guys are in prison. Yeah, that was great. That it, that was really <laughs> not fun. not super highbrow humor, but it's it's funny. Who cares? So speaking of smaller versions of beloved items, <laughs> oh, see what I see what way. I did there. <laughs> <laughs> we have some news coming from Olympus, and it's it's something that's very near and dear to our hearts. Uh, as you guys know, all of the three of us started shooting with the Olympus EM10 uh, Micro Four Thirds camera, the original version of that camera that packed just ridiculous image quality in a very affordable package. And the news came out this week that Olympus has released the Mark III version of this camera. So what do you guys think about it? I like it. I mean, it's it's an interesting um, kind of controversial set of features that they put into it. And I think it's because a lot of people had this expectation that it was going to be a direct upgrade over the Mark II, for instance, like Sony style, uh, rather than right. a replacement of it in the lineup. Um, so for instance, it doesn't get the 20 megapixel sensor, which a lot of people were very upset about. Um, yeah, there are some, and I think that's fair. There are some people that are, sorry, not some people, there are some features rather that have been removed from it, um, like the, uh, the wireless flash control and things like that. Um, so there, it's, it's kind of a mixed bag as far as reactions. Um, but I think that when you look at it within the current lineup, um, it makes a fair bit of sense. And it's targeted, again, I, I always look at the EM10 as the camera that's targeted at um, people that are just getting into this sort of thing. And so for them, the features yeah. that it brings um, and the refinements that it brings are are really well thought out. And I, I have a like direct example of this. So my mom shoots with uh, an EM5 Mark II. And she got the news that the EM10 Mark III came out and she said, I want that camera. And the right. reason that she wants it is not because it's, you know, a better camera in terms of image quality or anything like that. She couldn't care less about 16 versus 20 megapixels. That's entirely irrelevant to any shooting that she does. Right. What makes it so appealing is, you know, her eyesight is not what it used to be. And the fact that they've now made the uh, scene modes accessible via a much more um, visual touch-based menu system, um, that in itself is really appealing because it means that she can very quickly um, configure the camera to handle certain kinds of scenes automatically on its own. And they've tuned, apparently the, the automatic modes are now smarter than they've ever been before on that camera. So, you know, we don't know how, you know, what that means actually in concrete terms. But right. in terms of being appealing to someone in her position, she loves photography, but she's not really interested in getting into the details. She just wants to have a camera that's reliable and that can easily get her the shot that she's after. And so for her, this looks like an upgrade, even though in literal terms, it's it's not. Right. I think for what it's worth, I think this is now better positioned as an entry-level camera than it, than it used to be. Because Olympus had a weird proposition there because the EM10 that was supposed to be the entry-level model was so close to the EM5 in terms of features and build quality and pretty much everything yeah. else that it really was a head-scratcher. Like if, if I was 
uh, getting into the system, it's like, why would I go for the AM5 too? Unless I'm, I have a very specific use case, like the high-risk mode or something yep. like that. In general, the EM10 was a much better value. Yep. And now it's, it's sad to see that they have stopped bringing it, you know, bringing feature parity to, to this entry-level entry level model and instead have decided to go through a more conservative route. So it almost almost feels like they are working backwards. They realize that they made a mistake with how good the original EM10 was. And then ever since yeah, they've they been made it pulling too good. back. Exactly. That's the feel, feeling that I get. And I look at this one and it's just a continuation of the Mark II, which was boost the price, pull back a couple features, improve where we need to, but we need to make the value here a little bit like not off the charts. So that, that's what I look at. I look at it and I'm disappointed. But, you know, that's because we're all, yeah, judging to the M10, the original M10. That's where we're all judging it too, right? right? Yeah. But I think that in terms, like, again, looking at the their full lineup, this makes more sense for now. For sure, and Once we for see sure. what the EM5 Mark III brings to the table, I think that their goal really is to have a lineup where it's very clear at what point you need to step up from EM10 to EM5 and then from EM5 to EM1. Because the previous generations, that was... That was a bit of a mess, honestly. Like it was, yeah. Yeah, it, it was, was a great mess as a consumer. Right. Great mess as a consumer. Great mess. Yeah, absolutely. But as it's a like, ha ha ha, Olympus. Like I'm gonna screw you because <laughs> I'm gonna buy your best camera and it's the cheapest one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, that's funny. Yeah, probably not what they had no. in mind. So much. But uh, this makes me wonder about something. This is a little bit too out there, but it's uh, the fact that economies of scale also play a factor in this whole thing. When you have feature parity across all of your models. You only have one pipeline, for example, the sensor. You only have to buy one kind of sensor and you get to build the same sensor into all of your cameras. Now we have at least three different sensors that we know of inside of current generation Olympus cameras because there's the 60 megapixel sensor in the in the EM10 Mark III. Then there's the 20 megapixel sensor in the Pen F, which is different from the 20 megapixel sensor one uh, sensor in the EM1 Mark II. Yeah. So and then there's the whole last generation thing going on still there with a few models. So it's becoming a little bit messy at this point. And uh, I don't know, I used to think that they, uh, an important factor in their decision making was that they got to reuse components, but I guess not. No, I don't think that's a huge concern for them. And uh, honestly, one of the things that we should point out just so that people don't get the wrong idea here, there is an upgrade in image quality and it's not because the sensor is different, but the um, the processor, because when you think about IQ for a camera, it's a combination of the sensor technology itself, the hardware, and then the processing technology that's actually transforming that data into an image for you. And in the case of the EM10 Mark right. III, they've now upgraded that processor to the same one that's in the EM1 Mark II in the flagship, the TruePic V8, I think. Pretty sure it's the mm -hmm. V8. Anyway, that one is their newest processing technology. So even though it's working um, on the data captured by um, the previous generation sensor, you're still going to get improvements that have come from um, what they've learned over the years in terms of working with that data. So it's not like there's sure. you know, no upgrades here in terms of um, image quality. It's just that they're not the upgrades that people were hoping for, perhaps. And, and some people, I should say, because again, this is not, the, yeah. the people who this is targeted at are not going to care about those differences. It might be uh, even better for some people because it, it requires less computational power to edit those images. It requires less storage space. So there are some advantages to keeping the resolution small. Yeah. But yeah, if you're on the, like on the, on the, 
on the upgrade train and you just want to own the latest and greatest all the time, then this is a little bit disappointing. But uh, if you look at the bigger picture, uh, like we were saying, it does make more sense. It's a better fit for Olympus's overall strategy. Speaking of bigger pictures, yeah, um, there we go. The other... Segway. <laughs> oh, we're getting good at this stuff. <laughs> one of the other pieces of news that has uh, occurred since uh, we last spoke is that Nikon has revealed their new flagship, and uh, we've we, there were some rumors floating around with the specs, and a lot of them are confirmed, but now we know for certain. So. Uh, the D850 is a thing, and it is a thing that replaces the D810 as their top-of-the-line camera. And it's kind of positioned as this interesting... Um, I guess it's the the closest parallel is to the 5D Mark IV in the sense that um, the D810 bodies, uh, or the D800 series bodies and the, the 5D bodies from Canon are competing for the kind of do-everything, all-in-one, super-versatile... Um, cameras. Yeah. And so this is definitely that. Uh, <laughs> it is a very, very impressive yeah. camera. Um, it's now got a 45.7 megapixel backside illuminated sensor, um, and it's built in-house by Nikon this time, which is a bit of a, a change uh, for them. Uh, but by all accounts, uh, early reviews or previews, I should say, uh, seem to indicate that the image quality is definitely following in the footsteps of the previous uh, cameras in the lineup, which is to say it's fantastic right. with incredible dynamic range, blah, 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 blah. Um, yeah, I mean, we've got 4K video, we've got um, a tilting screen, we've got... The works, it's, it's it, it does yeah, it all. It's literally, this yeah, is like a spec all. sheet that, that it, you know, someone asked, what would you like in a DSLR body? And the other person said everything, and Nikon said, okay, and here we are. So here's the best feature of the entire camera, I don't care what anyone says, illuminated backlit buttons. Oh that's amazing. My the whole camera, pff, whatever. Button. I thought you were gonna say sensor. Uh, no, no, yeah, those backlit buttons, buttons are awesome. Every camera yeah. should have that. I mean, it would kill a mirrorless battery in a heartbeat, like even faster than they already die, but you know, it'd be a great addition for every other camera on the entire planet. No argument there. Yeah, this is one of those features that yeah. seems like an obvious one, but you're right. I mean, it's only really practical on a DSLR body because we just do not have the battery life yet in the mirrorless realm to make this happen. But I mean, I, I can't tell you how often I'm in like a dark room and like... I literally need a flashlight to flash on the back of the camera to see what I'm doing because I'm just not good enough to know what I'm isn't doing. That what, isn't that what Pentax did? I'm trying to remember here. Didn't they have a similar thing where um, they have little lights that it's not like backlit buttons, but they have a little light that that appears uh, that lights up certain parts of the interface in the dark? Smart. I swear I they guess did that. But anyway, that's the DSLR again. So, <laughs> right. yeah. Sony, listen. I mean, they, it's, it feels like they've been listening to all the things that we wanted, right? Alvaro, dual card slots, mm -hmm. you know, like the A9 answered every question. So maybe they listen to this show. And if they listen to this show, then they should put illuminated buttons on the A7 Mark III because that would make perfect sense. I agree. I agree. But in terms of what Sony's been up There's to no recently, way. <laughs> this, the Nikon D850 reminds me a lot more of the A99 Mark yep. II like the A-mount version of Sony's uh, flagship camera. And it's just, it's very similar. And, and we're starting to see, like we've said before in previous episodes, we're starting to see that performance is no longer a bottleneck when it comes to having high resolution and a healthy burst rate, because this camera has a 45 megapixel sensor and a very healthy seven frames per second burst. So I think we're up there. I think we're 
now the, the processors and the buffers and the SD cards, everything is fast enough to have the kind of performance that we would all like. Yeah. And, and it's great. It's great. And it makes me uh, very excited for what's to come from everyone in the industry over the next few days. It's going to be a very interesting proposition because now that performance is sort of the bar, uh, they're going to have to innovate in other areas, and, and, and that's going to be very exciting yeah. to see. They also pulled the autofocus system from the D5, which means that theoretically you shouldn't be giving up anything on that front either. So it's not like, right. you know, it used to be the case that the in Canon's case, the 1D bodies would always have a slightly better autofocus system, um, but that's just not the case here anymore. Now the autofocus system is should be just as good between the, the top-end chunky style d5 style body and the uh this d850 so i don't know like it's it's an incredibly impressive camera i think nikon shooters are um very well served these days uh you know despite rumors to the contrary that you know nikon's not in a healthy spot i think regardless of their status um financially they are pulling out all the stops and making incredibly powerful pieces of imaging technology um, so, you know, whether or not that's going to get people to switch or whatever, who knows, but I think it'll certainly get people to upgrade because I think that was the, that's the struggle really with these manufacturers making reliable DSLR bodies that last a decade, you know, is getting people to upgrade. Right. It's not so much system switching because that's, that's a much harder sell. But like if I have a D810 and I'm looking at the D850, are there enough meaningful improvements that I want to upgrade my body? And I think there are. That's a tough one. I think one. there are in this case because it's there is quite a gap. Like the D810 is no slouch, um, but if I had the the means and I was a working professional photographer, I could definitely see advantages to upgrading at least one of my bodies, right? Because I would have two, so maybe one of them becomes the D850, and I keep a D810 as the backup. Like that's that's a really great combination for just about anything. Yeah, and especially if you need to record video. Because this one does 4K and the previous one, I don't think it did. Right. So this is that's a very, very important new feature. And I want to ask you, Marius, because you have way more experience shooting video than either of the other two of us. Yeah. Uh, what does the D850 look like on paper when it comes to video recording? Like, because I'm reading here and it does 4K at 4.2.2. So that's 8 yep. bits of depth. So how does it compare with something like the Panasonic GH5, for example? I mean, the, the GH5 does, at least on, on paper, it's giving you a lot more video features. It's got higher quality footage that's recorded even internally. Um, this is kind of like par for the course as far as DSLR video goes. I would have liked to see um, 60 frame per second uh, in 4K. I would have liked to see 422 10-bit output at least. Um, over HDMI, which doesn't seem to be the case, um, you know, but it's not bad. Like this is, this is the kind of thing, uh, if you are a, like a wedding, um, shooter, for instance, and you're asked to do video occasionally, you kind of don't care necessarily about all of the features for video that the GH5 provides. So having it all in one body, cause that's really the, the big selling point here is that rather than having a video dedicated body and a photo dedicated body, you've got one camera that is pretty darn capable of handling both things. And, and the D850, uh, it's not ambitious in terms of video, but it's definitely giving you the basics that you would expect in a camera in 2017. Right. So I'm, I don't think it's disappointing. Um, but it also remains to be seen what codec they're using, what kind of uh, quality they're getting. I'm not sure if there's a crop on the video. Um, so there's there's some details that I don't know 
um, about yet. But either right. way, from from the press release, it seems like um, they've they've covered their basics. I don't know how how good this is going to like for 2017. It's great, but it's not something that I think has um, the launch. Yeah, yeah bigger, you know what I mean. Like yeah. two years from now, three years from now, they won't have updated this body, and those video specs are going to look pretty weak by comparison. And it's remarkable how gracefully both the D810 and the D750 have aged. Yeah. Like those two are still a really good value when you're if if you're in the market for a new camera and you can get your hands on a discounted one. I think that's those are very very tempting still. Yeah, the D750 is probably one of those cameras that's going to go down in history as one of the best all-rounders ever um, at a price point that makes it accessible to just about anyone and the image quality is is still more than you would need in in most situations. It's just a yeah, it's a stunning yeah. piece of technology. Uh, I I actually really want to shoot with one at some point because I've never shot a Nikon um, DSLR before. But and then that would be the one that that I think would be the obvious choice to to start with because you get kind of a a great yeah, taste yeah, of, of the Nikon realm without spending a gigantic amount of money. You're telling us that you don't have a Nikon guy? I don't have a Nikon Ooh. guy. <laughs> <laughs> wink, wink, nudge, nudge. If someone from Nikon is yeah, listening, yeah, get in touch. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Um, on the other side of the DSLR coin, um, Canon has no new. Ca- well, I guess they have the M100, the the mirrorless body. Woo! But, uh, yeah, um, but more more interestingly, they have three lenses, um, which are four lenses. Are it was it three tilt shifts? Four. I think. The, I think it. Yeah, three tilt shifts, and then the right, 85. right, right. Yeah. So that's exciting. The eighty-five, especially. That's pretty cool. Oh it's yeah. Time. This is this is very very interesting. This is Canon playing by the rules of everyone else, which is very weird to see and very exciting to see because we've we always tend to see that or tend to say that Canon lenses are great, excellent, but they tend to be expensive. Like those red rings are expensive. <laughs> uh, but this 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 case is very different because we have an 85mm f1.4 lens that has image stabilization, which is something no other 85mm lens out there has. And it's still pretty reasonably priced, if you ask me. Yeah. So, yeah, this is this is surprising. And I'm, I'm very excited we about it. We can give him yeah. a and candid it- clap. <laughs> <laughs> and it fits it fits very neatly into the uh into their lineup because they had the 1.8 and they had the 1.2 but nothing really in between and this one to be yeah. honest feels like it's going to be the the mainstay for a lot of people because as as good as the 85 1.2 l is um that's quite a difficult lens to use um just just because yeah. it's not it's very slow to focus in general and it is you know at f1.2 you don't have like you basically get one part of an eyelash and that's about it. So you, uh, you know, there's not a lot of room for error there, uh, which is fine, you know, and the the look that it gives is, is unparalleled, but this seems to be a more um, approachable lens to shoot with, especially with the stabilization, especially with the modern focusing system, um, you know, paired with, uh, with the 6D Mark II or with the 5D Mark IV or something like that. This is going to, this is going to be like a, just a perfect um, portrait outfit. Yeah. The, the, 1.2 1.2 is one of those lenses that only exist just for bragging rights purposes. Yeah, you know, to a certain extent. Canon yeah. made the 85 1.2. Why? Because they yeah. could. Because they could make a 1.2 lens 
uh, an 85 1.2 lens to show the world that they can. It wasn't the sharpest lens. It wasn't the it wasn't a really practical lens to use even because the focusing was super slow. I have shot with it actually, and it was big. It was heavy. It it just wasn't an enjoyable lens to use. I mean, the the output, like you said, was unique because. Well, it has to be because there's no other lens yeah. like it. Uh, but it, but in in that way, it's a bit like the Leica Noctilux, like the 50 millimeter f 0.95, I think right. it is. That's a ten thousand dollar lens, and it's not the kind of lens you would buy if you just wanted to get your work done. Those lenses exist because, well, they are bragging rights. That's yeah. it. And but this is a and actually a very smart lens design. The the new 1.4, I think this is going to be a, a massive success and uh yeah they had the 1.2 but they was there was still a gap in the lineup and i think this feels it very yeah nicely. i can tell you my eye is very firmly zeroed in on this lens i'm i'm eager to get my hands on it and try it out that's right because you now have a new canon camera new is a relative term but anyway yeah so that's the that's the canon news um if we flip over to the mirrorless realm we have some sony some sony announcements as well i think the camera related one that is most peculiar is the tiny little rx0 which is kind yeah. of like an action cam but not so much an action cam it's like um the way that they position it is that it's a uh it's a small camera for video professionals um, who are trying to shoot in challenging conditions. So imagine something that looks like a little GoPro. It's got one of their one-inch sensors, um, and it's got a built-in 24mm f4 prime lens. And it's it's cute. I mean, it's this tiny little camera that does <laughs> really nice 4K, seemingly. It's very light, and it's expensive. Um, yeah. But in Sony you know, style, <laughs> yeah, in Sony style, yeah, no. But by all accounts, like this is a this is totally a niche camera. Like this is something that really has a very specific target audience, and I don't think that it's going to be rivaling the GoPros in terms of people taking vacation shots or anything like that. I think as a travel camera, you're still going to want the RX100. Um, but you know, as a as a rugged go anywhere high quality small video thing this is pretty interesting yeah and it was the last the last possible product category that sony didn't have a presence in so hey so Check. Yeah. you know guys, <laughs> yeah you guys uh what what is the focal length of a gopro camera uh that's a good question i in like 35 mil equivalent well, terms, or whatever equivalent terms this would be like this is a 24 millimeter focal length right yeah so, I mean, yeah, the GoPro always has that like that fisheye type, you know, expansive capture everything look to it, which is cool. But like, does this have that? It's probably about the same. I would imagine it's similar. Although the the other the one thing that I thought was that this was more of a rectilinear wide angle rather than yeah, the GoPro is significantly right. wider. It's yeah, sixteen okay. millimeters. So that's what I was thinking is that this to me would be more um, like I would like this one more for like still images you know specifically because of that yeah. reality is that it's just not that fisheye like everything is distorted and everything this would take like real photos not that gopro photos are real but no 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 but keep in mind that the what gopro has done to get around that is they actually have uh three different modes um only one of which is the full super fisheye wide angle they actually have one right. that is pretty close to this field of view and it's less like it doesn't look as distorted. Is that it looks on the like new fo the GoPro Five or the Hero Five, or is that on all of them? 
I think it was on the four series as well. I might okay. be wrong though. It's definitely on the five okay. um, and it's handy. It's really handy. Cause like you said, sometimes that fish eye look is great and sometimes right. it's not. Yep. You just want a, a normal wide angle vacation photo. And so these modes allow you to get that um, with the GoPro and, uh, and it's fine. You know, it's good. It's not as good as it's going to be with a dedicated lens at that focal length, but it's still, you know, when we're talking about GoPro image quality, it's not, you know, there's not a huge Yeah, and we're there. talking like like a thousand US dollars to what three hundred US dollars? I think that's a no brainer. Exactly. Exactly. Right. Exactly. But guys, you can always use the Leica Q that you're using to prop up the GoPro and take the picture with I'm it. just imagining Alvaro oh, yeah. with like a little hat on that has a like a mount, like a skull mount. <laughs> so, and you know, there's a Leica. And then on top of the Leica is this new Sony RX Zero. <laughs> Uh, of course. <laughs> oh man, that would be funny. Just like you put a little propeller right on the right on the very top. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I don't use tripods. I just I just have a tower of like cubes, <laughs> ranging as high as I need. So our friend, I can't really say our friend. I, I we've never met Mr. Steele, but he made a little return to his blog. I don't know about you guys, but Admiring Light is probably my go-to review spot. Jordan, Mr. Steele, there he writes reviews that are like just non-technical enough that they're not like way over the top of my head, but they're technical enough that I actually understand what he's talking about. I don't know about you guys. Anyway. I really enjoy his work. Yeah. And he's like straight to the point. It's not like a bullet point type review, but it almost feels like it. Anyhow, he is back after a few months hiatus and reviewed the Sony 70 to 200 millimeter G master lens. And it's as everybody else expected. Uh, but it, it's good. It, you know, it kind of reaffirms. I always wait for his opinion and reaffirms what everybody else is saying. So that one's on the bucket list, the lens. Yeah, I think we've reached a point where all modern lenses are just spotless and flawless. So lens reviews are starting to get a little bit boring because it seems like nobody's able to find any fault with any lens anymore. Agreed. But, yep. yep. Agreed. I, I get, I get but it was good mean. to see him back. Hopefully that means that there's more work in the future for him and Oh yeah. yeah. I do yeah. agree that he's a fantastic reviewer. Um the the big question for me with a lens like this is how it compares to the uh Canon F2.8 Mark II because to me that's kind of the benchmark for 70 to 200 lenses. It's big, it's heavy, but the images that come out with that lens are are just superb. And uh, so that's always, you know, whenever I'm looking at a 70 to 200, that's the comparison I want to see. And I don't think he's done that comparison, but yet, that's nope. the one that I'm going right. to want right. to to take a look at because yeah, it's just that lens for me is a, is a really special one. It's very expensive too. Is the Sony cheaper? No, it's actually quite a bit more expensive. Seriously? Holy crap. Yeah. The, the Canon, you can, you can have the Canon now for, I think it's 1700 US dollars, something in that ballpark. It's, it's gone down quite a bit. Oh, wow. Okay. And, and now this is 2,500, the the Sony. Not cheap at all. That's why it's on the bucket list and not on the realistic list not on the shopping list yeah <sighs> either way though i i agree with you alvaro the uh lenses these days have passed a threshold where it's kind of surprising whenever one is not excellent in most categories i i think lens design is just uh not a solved problem but it's certainly not something that we're struggling with anymore um in in the way of balancing compromises like you used to have to do yeah let's say just most lenses today will vastly outperform your skill as a photographer yeah. So, and your sensor, obviously, uh, in, in most cases. Yeah. So, uh, Last bit of news, um, this time from Fujifilm. They have unveiled a program, which I believe is U.S. only for now, but um, it's an educational pricing program that can give you a discount on 
um, bodies and lenses um, if you are a teacher or a student, um, which is pretty great, to be honest. I think that's a really smart way to get people using your cameras, you know, when it counts, because those formative years yeah. are where you get them, right? Like my formative years were with Canon, so gravity always pulls me that way. Um, and if other people started with Olympus, they'll always go that. So it's, you know, being the first is is, is an important place to be. And the discount is a great way to do that. Um, I think that uh, if I'm remembering correctly, you get something in the tune of like $200 off of an X-T2 uh, or an X-Pro2 yeah. and uh, something similar for the lenses, which is, you know, it's not a like massive discount, but it's an incentive. And that might be enough to, uh, you know, to turn the tide in their favor as far as people's decision making as a student. And especially I'm thinking also um, if this applies to institutions that are looking to purchase um, cameras for their photography program. Uh, we've spoken before about how the manual dials on Fujifilm cameras and lenses make for a really great learning experience because everything has a dedicated um, physical control. So I can definitely see schools wanting to invest in several of these bodies and lenses as a as a teaching aid, basically, because once you learn on a camera like that, it's easier to translate those skills into cameras with different interfaces. Yep. Nice little candid clap once more. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I guess you're just the provider of the <laughs> candid clap now. Josh, you're up. I'm up. I'm up because, because I've been fiddling around instead of writing and creating content. That's why I'm up. And anyway, anyway, so so I, I have this. I, you know, we're all we're all kind of guilty of having our creative body of work like segmented and broken up into multiple spots across the internet. Um, and I, mine is like it's awful. So anyway, uh, I've got writing all over the map, and I've got different sites for everything. And so I'm slowly trying to like see if there's a smart way of consolidating. And you know, anyway, I've spent a lot of time experimenting in Squarespace, and we all Squarespace is great. Um, you hear about them on podcasts all the time. Uh, they're, I don't know what to say. Everybody right? Everybody knows who Squarespace is, right? I think so. Just for yeah. the record, we are not actually sponsored. We don't have a code no. for you. Um, maybe but, one day. Yeah, yeah maybe one day. <laughs> uh, so anyway, what I learned though, like I started off with my very, one of my very first sites was a Squarespace 5 site, I believe, or maybe it was 6 because it's on 7 now, right? Yeah, we're 7 now. Right. Okay. So anyway, it was one of those earlier ones and you know, you, you get into there and it kind of seems locked down and you can't do what you want to do. And somebody like me who has no, you know, formal coding knowledge or anything, it was hard to make it do what I was hoping to do. And so I went, ventured off into other spots and so on. And now I'm back and I'm realized like they've opened up a lot of things. Like you can do more with Squarespace now than you used to be able to. Yep. So I spent about uh, a week or so fiddling around with my own personal portfolio site and I have a new result. And one of the cool little things that I've realized is that you can actually use like custom fonts that aren't like within the Squarespace seven program. I don't know if this has always been the case and I just wasn't you know capable of implementing them, but like it now works. And um, yeah, so my site is outfitted with the good old Heffler uh, Whitney font and off we go. So that's the way it is. I uh, posted some Toronto photos and, and that's, that's that. So it's cool. Kudos to Squarespace. I would do the candid clap, but I got shut down five minutes ago. Uh, kudos to Squarespace for slowly, but surely like opening that up and making it a little easier to, for all sorts of people to work with beginners and people like me. 
Yeah, they do a great job. So I want to know, even if they don't sponsor. <laughs> I want to know how you feel about this compared to your um, blogging experience on the newsprint, and and I'm specifically interested in the writing experience and the the publishing experience because I think that um, when it comes to an incentive to write, knowing that you don't have to fiddle a lot when you actually want to publish something is important. So I just wanted to gauge how this compares to other blogging experiences that you've had. Like, is this, does it feel like Squarespace is going to encourage you to write more frequently and more freely because there's less hassle or is it, is there still enough of that, that it's not really. Yeah, I get, I think I know what you're, what you're asking. And I think that the best way to answer it would be to say that there's a difference between blogging and the work that I'm aiming to do these days. Blogging okay. to me feels more like like it definitely on the writing side and without a doubt Squarespace like there's more fiddling involved on the writing side than you know the work the work that I would have done with the Blanc Media team like in in WordPress and with my little site leaf site on the newsprint so without a doubt there's more fiddling um, if you go to like that Toronto blog post for instance i've got like uh, in order to get the toronto canada thing centered in the middle of the whole thing like i have to have spacers in there and i have to i mean i don't have to but i have them in there and in order to get the line that only like you know a third of the that that gray line that you see underneath there um anyway in order to get that there you have to put spacers in and and it took a lot every single blog post has to have one of those unless i hard coded in but sometimes you don't want want that right so anyway Long story short is there is a lot of fiddling, but the difference now is that I don't know if I want to be writing as much as I would like to be photographing things. And so the way Squarespace, specifically this template can um, implement photos and, and put like direct like image overlays or like you can blow it up, you can click on any image and it gives you a big, big on like full screen view of the photo and those kind of things. Like I can never do that with other sites. So on the writing side, no, Squarespace is not going to be like, it's not going to improve the writing experience. And that was never the goal. The goal was to be able to showcase better media. And I think that it, it will be successful in that front. I I can't show off these types of images in this kind of format um, on the, the newsprint site as well as I'd like to. So that was more the goal, I think. And I think it's going to succeed with that. I'm working on a little post about the Apple AirPods little chance to get back into some product photography and like you can put in gallery galleries that automatically cycle through photos every five seconds and it just automatically changes for you so like there's like it's kind of like dynamic content as opposed to just static so it's those things i think that that squarespace will incentivize um maybe shooting more images maybe keeping reviews reviews in quotation marks a little shorter but um yeah, that's that's the goal, I think. So to answer your question, does that answer your question? I think so. It it does. Yeah, no. And to me, like I'm very excited because I am eager to see uh again because you you have the freedom to kind of explore the format in this sense and you can put images first if you like. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, have that be the priority. I'm I'm just very interested to see where you find your groove as far as um you know, what the future of Josh posts will look like, Josh you know, posts. like what what kind of what kind of content that is, right. you know, and, and how you format things. And, uh, you know, I, I think it's fun to explore. And I, I agree with you, like this, this layout that you've got right now is very favorable for image heavy um, content, whether it's reviews, whether it's the travel log style thing, like this, uh, this wonderful Toronto post, like it's, it's really an attractive way to experience that. So um, 
yeah, I'm glad you I'm glad you went through the hassle and there was a little you know, bit of were, a hassle. Yeah. yeah. I asked some, you guys a lot of, of questions. Oh my word. Yeah, there was some late nights of Squarespace yelling uh, in our Slack, but it was it was worth it, I think, in the end. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think Yeah, yeah. For for what it's worth, I think it turned out really, really nice. And I'm I'm very excited to see what you do with it next. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. I think I'm going to migrate the blog over, but not migrate like import or export. The newsprint might, <clears> unfortunately, <throat> you know, like slowly die a painful death. Yeah. But so be it. Like that's the life of websites. So uh, I think I'll probably move the blogging stuff over. They, Squarespace has like a blog app, by the way. Um, like it's called Squarespace blog and it you can yep. post things a little bit easier that way and it you can throw that onto the iPad. And so like blogging, blogging I think will be, I could still do that. It'll be fun. It'll be relatively quick. I think it's going to be faster than the site leaf thing overall. Um, and then, yeah, I get the benefit of these big old gallery images and stuff like that. So, boom. Sweet. Anyways, sp- speaking of writing less and shooting more, <clears throat> you've had quite a few weeks already with the, with a new yeah. toy. <laughs> hey, you know, I was just going to say like we, we, the last time I, we spoke, like we were all sitting like arm's length away from each other at a table. That was a long time ago already. Yeah, man. So feels m- like it so much for a weekly podcast. We got to step up our game here. Yeah. Don't worry because by the time this is actually edited and published, it will have been even longer. So that's okay. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, we'll, we'll get onto a schedule here. No, but ba- back to the 24 to 70 GM. Yeah. Uh, so, so I've been playing around with it. Um, I've had a couple like product review or product photos that I've been able to shoot with it, which, um, wow. I really, really like being able to keep one lens on and not worry about, Oh, will this photo work at 25 millimeters? Will it not work at 55? Blah, 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 blah. I can zoom in between, take a look, take a test shot. What a dream. That part's awesome. Um, it's heavy. You definitely talked about that and were not, not not blunt or harsh about it or anything like that, but you talked about it in Slack quite frequently about how big and heavy the, the GM lens is. And the, without a doubt, the 24 to 70 GM is big. Um, yesterday, we, we Jacqueline and I went out to a local provincial park and just shot some more maternities type photos. And so I used the 24 to 70 nearly, um, nearly explicitly for it but i did put the 85 millimeter baddest on and it was like the moment that i put the baddest on was it was like oh like i can actually lift this camera finally (laughs) (laughs) you can actually don't need to use two hands and so yeah i think yesterday was the first experience where it was like okay the gm is heavy not just like ah i can live with it it's like i can still live with it but it's heavy um so that would those would be the impression so far is that uh when i shoot product photos like it, it really there's a lot more flexibility in, in, in that zoom lens. And that obviously like it kind of comes with a whole focal range, but that flexibility I haven't had for a long, long time, like two years. And I'm very appreciative of that. Well, I'm glad to hear it's going well. I was a bit concerned because of the, like, I remember I told you it's not so much the size, but yep. the weight yeah, that I think is more of a deal breaker or will be more of a deal breaker to more people. But if, once you get used to it, of course, it is a fantastic lens, and I'm, I'm very glad to see that you're enjoying it and and shooting with it, which is the most. Without important a doubt, thing. there's a well, the other thing that, uh, I mean, I don't read that many reviews anymore, but there is a significant difference in the build quality between this GM lens and even the Badass. Like that build quality difference is, um, I really, I really like that that difference. It, yeah, it's heavy, but 
uh, the thing the the GM lens feels like a tank. It's built like a tank. You could throw it at the wall and the wall would break and not the lens, you know, like, so, so that, that part is, well, yeah, just don't do I'm it just in that. case, but. <laughs> <laughs> but it makes it, it's kind of, um, I don't know about, maybe it's a bit of an underrated feature, if you will, just that how well built they are. Um, and the last thing I should throw in here, the GM lens comes with that focus hold button. So it's right on, uh, between the, the man, the focus ring and the zoom ring, and you put your thumb on it and you can hold it. And I started playing around with that yesterday. Um, and that first of all is a treat just on itself to be able to hold it. Now I'm sure that there's a programmable way sometime somewhere on the camera body that I could do that. Yeah. It's not just focus hold. You could, right. Yeah. You can for set anything. it up for, and I learned that from Jordan like Steele's review yeah. of the 7,200 millimeter GM yesterday that I can reprogram that. So like you can program it to, I, autofocus which is that's i think that's so the cool. best that is awesome it. so you just press the button on the lens finds the finds the the subject's eye and shoot and boom done so that that is another underrated feature um of these gm lenses which really makes me like i love this baddest lens oh my word yesterday some of those photos i took i i love them i just love them but it doesn't have any sort of on lens features and that between the build quality of the 85 millimeter GM and that focus hold button, those things have me tempted. Yeah, good news is Sony's putting that that button on more and more lenses, not just the GN ones. So eventually, it'll make its way across the entire lineup, hopefully. But it is it is a very good addition, a very welcome one for sure. Any other first impressions on the on the blog or on the uh, Candid podcast this week? I'm thinking that there's got to be a bunch. Oh yeah, that the 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 guy with all the new things. Yeah, all the new things. <laughs> the guy with all the new things has a few new things. Um, so I think maybe the first set is uh, is easiest to go through. So Peak Design recently uh, revamped their leash and cuff, um, which are like it's their smallest strap and their um, little wrist strap, respectively. So um, I had the first generation cuff which I liked a great deal. And um, I've never used a leash before, but I figured I'd kind of like to see if, um, like both of you, I think both of you, but Josh specifically, you basically wanted to steal my um, my nice blue Summit Edition slide strap yeah. while you were here. And so that's my, that's my main camera strap now. It's very comfortable. Um, I've gotten used to how it works and how to use it. And um, but I wanted to see if I could get something a little less bulky because that does not pack down very well and it's it's kind of floppy in a bag and gets in my way. So that that's like one downside of it. Um, so I figured I'd pick up the leash and see if it does a better job. And um, I, I've been shooting with it on the um, Fuji and on the Olympus for um, a while now and I don't think I'm going to keep it. And the reason I say that right. is because while it is compact and it does... You know, it folds down really, really small. I love the new anchor links. They're they're smaller. The clips are smaller. Like it's all the, the hardware is basically perfect. The fabric is amazing. The new um, mechanism that they have for loosening um, and and adjusting the length is really slick. It works extremely well. But my problem is that it's not comfortable to wear in almost any configuration. As soon as the weight, like if the weight is basically the X Pro Two and a thirty five F two, I'm fine. Like that's okay. But anything heavier than that, and it's just not comfortable. Like, I, I can feel it digging into my shoulder in uncomfortable ways. And it's the kind of thing that is not going to bother you for an hour. 
but I tend to go on long hikes and I know that comparatively speaking, that's going to start to cause discomfort where my slide does not because it's so much wider. It's like four times wider. Um, the weight is distributed more evenly and there's more padding. Um, right. So for that reason, while I do appreciate the convenience of, of having a smaller, um, more compact, more easy to put away strap, um, I don't think it's worth the trade-off in comfort, ultimately. That's that's what it's about for me. So excellent hardware, but I'm going to stick to my slide, I think, on that on the strap front. Yeah, and I think when you're talking about shoulder straps, uh, the strap width is, is just something that you can't get away from. It, it's, it has to be wide enough in order to be comfortable. And if it's too thin, as long as you start carrying heavier loads, it's just going to, like you said, it's going to bite into your into your... Uh, shoulder and it's going to be painful and it sucks because the fabric is so soft like it feels really really gentle against the skin like it's all everything about it is excellent except again in use the the simple mechanics of having a thin strap and a moderate to heavy amount of weight and it just doesn't it doesn't work anymore so again if you're shooting a light setup you know just a, a mirrorless body and a pancake or something like that you're you're probably fine um, but if you're going to be carrying it for a very long time, or if like me, you're sometimes putting on heavier lenses, um, it's, yeah, it's, it's not a great comfort experience. Well, I'm sorry to hear that. Yeah. It's not the end of the world, but it's, you know, it's something, um, the leash, or sorry, not the leash, the cuff, on the other hand, I do like a lot. I think that the, um, improvements they've made specifically to how easy it is to, uh, loosen and tighten. Uh, it's much better. And the fact that you now have a magnet that allows you to wear it um, sort of detached when you when you unclip your camera, that's much more practical. And uh, yeah, I love that. that Aesthetically, it also looks a lot better to me. Like I got obviously I got them in ash. That's the only real color for peak design. Yes. And uh, they look they look superb. Like it's really a very, very handsome um, strap. It's minimal. It's not bulky. It's not, uh, I know a lot of these wrist straps and the big like woven cord ones that look like someone cut off a ship anchor rope and, and attached it to your camera. Like I'm not a huge fan of those. Um, but this looks great. It's subtle. Um, and it feels very nice. Again, it's the same fabric as the leash. So it's very comfy and having it around my wrist, um, wandering around with the, uh, EM1 Mark II and the 40 to 150, for instance, no problem. So two thumbs up for that one. Yeah. The only part about the cuff that I think is perhaps not as good looking as it could be is the fact that you're still carrying the black plastic, uh, you know, the anchor point. Yeah. That part on the redesign strap, like on the ash collar, I think it looks a bit out of place. Like the black plastic, it looks a bit odd. Yeah with the rest of the strap. Yeah. Because now you have the aluminum fastener. If that part had also been made of, out of aluminum, I think the entire strap would look more consistent and, and just better. Yeah, it would have been heavier though. And yeah, to probably. their credit, they did, make the, they did make the clips smaller than the, uh, than the first gen, yeah. so that helps a little bit. But I, I agree with you. It's not, um, that is one weak point aesthetically. But I guess they had to standardize, right? It wouldn't make a whole lot of sense to have yeah, arbitrarily sure, have sure. A, a different clip just on the cuff. So, you know, it is what it is. But that's been my my first impressions of the new um, peak carrying um, things. I think uh, Josh is also, 
after the Toronto experience is joining Team Peak Design, are you not? Yeah, like, so just really quickly on the whole Peak Design thing, they, I was watching this video on YouTube randomly one day. I wanted to see some actual footage of the new Ash Messenger. Like, they have the Messenger now in their popular Ash color, and it was, like, it was like silently released, so to say. Like, somebody just went to their site one day, and, oh, it's available. Well, like, more than that, like, nobody's reviewed this Ash Messenger yet, and it, as it turns out, like, it sounds like there's the new divider that they have in those uh in the sling and yep. in the backpack yeah the new origami yeah ones. like the ones that can fold down but it's like a anyway they're they're better than the first generation messenger uh dividers and so uh apparently they're in this new ash bag specifically and i will confirm next week when they come but if you watch this video we'll put it in the show notes um the guy specifically shows that these are the new dividers so when i saw that boom had to buy the messenger it was like a no-brainer so it's on its way just to verify that the dividers are indeed exactly right? yeah that's the only reason the things you do for yeah, our listeners it's the only reason i'm not going to use it it's just going to sit in the closet like are you kidding Anyway, uh, I will confirm next week, but I imagine that the guy on the YouTube video wasn't lying. So I'm very excited. Very, very excited. Well, as the last outlier to the whole pick design club, well, I do have a cuff, so I guess I am in the pick and design And you've got capture. Club. Yeah. And I've got capture, but I'm going to be officially buying the backpack next week when I'm in New York City. So I'm going to join the club. Next week when I'm in New <laughs> York City, be, just drops be, the bomb. And to be fair, uh, <laughs> this show is also not sponsored by Peak Design. We also we have all the best non-sponsors in the world. Yeah. We we really appreciate them giving us the opportunity to buy all their things and talk about them. Yeah, yeah, it makes us very happy. Ooh, there's a plane. Yeah, sorry. So who's that's that? Me. You? So here in Toronto, the uh, the X is is going on right now, which means there's an air show every day. So we've got jets flying around. And, uh, <laughs> that was kind of cool. It was a perfect timing. New York City, and there's a jet flying. <laughs> yeah, that wasn't me. That That's wasn't not me a airport. sound effect. Not That's yet. not post-production. That is just live <laughs> and in person. I have a jet flying by. Hopefully uh, that doesn't happen too Okay, much moving more. on from peak design. What else we got? Okay, my new toy, um, the, the actual serious thing that I'm, that I'm spending time reviewing right now is a super interesting Lightroom editing console called Loop Deck. Um, and you may have seen Loop Deck in a few YouTube videos. They kickstarted um, last year, I want to say. Um, and now it's out and it's available and it's on my desk. And the promise is that it'll speed up your editing workflow, right? That's that's sort of the idea that because you have physical controls for everything from star ratings and pick to contrast and exposure and black and white and shadow and highlight and saturation and vibrance and white balance and blah, 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 blah. Um, the idea is that it's faster. So to me, I like, I need to verify that claim, right? Because after years of using Lightroom, you get pretty quick and there are keyboard shortcuts for things. And so, you know, it's like, that's, that's a difficult promise to fulfill. So far, I can say that there are aspects of it that are faster and there are aspects that are not. So Loop Deck has the little four-way arrows, for instance, that allow you to navigate through photos in, um, in the library view. And to me, that is not faster than using my keyboard for two important reasons. One, it's exactly the same speed, assuming, you know, that you're doing it with a normal keyboard. Um, But two, the buttons on Loop Deck um, seem to use the same mechanism and it's optimized for smaller buttons. So it's got like a P1, P2 customizable little function buttons, tiny circular ones. Those are fine. 
The bigger buttons, though, seem to use the same switch, and so it makes them feel kind of slow because it's it's like this very wobbly button. This is what you were talking about, um, Josh, with the MacBook Pro keyboard, where it doesn't wobble at all. These buttons wobble a little bit, so if you're if you're hitting the corner, it may or may not activate the switch. And so that feels a right. little bit, and there's also quite a bit of travel on the big buttons. So I found that navigating around with the arrow keys on loop deck was not faster. Um, there are also some frustrating limitations to, um, for instance, the big scroll wheel, you would think, oh, can I just scroll through the photos in library view? Uh, no, you cannot. Um, so there, you know, there's some stuff that I think firmware updates can improve upon. Um, but that's, that size is not faster. What is faster is anything dealing with the knobs. So when you have the knobs, the, the thing that I like most is that in Lightroom, when you're using mouse and keyboard, typically you can only click and drag one slider at a time, right? So for instance, if you're manually adjusting white balance, you're like fiddling with the temperature and then you're fiddling with the tint and then you're fiddling with the temperature and then you're fiddling with the tint to try and get it to where you want it to be. Here, I can have one hand on white balance knob, one hand on the tint knob, and I'm working both of them in parallel so I can do my adjustment much faster because I'm not constantly mousing and clicking and dragging between one and the other. I can simultaneously adjust things like that. I can also simultaneously adjust controls that are on very different parts of the develop module where I can't have both of them on screen because it doesn't fit, right? I'd have to scroll around. So I can be adjusting my highlights while I'm adjusting, you know, whatever else I've assigned one of the things to. So that is much faster and it's really cool. I, I really like being able to um, simultaneously adjust things that are complementary, like white balance and tint, like the black and white points, like the shadows and highlights. That's pretty neat. Um, you can also assign presets to one of eight preset buttons. And these, like Loop Deck comes with its own set of presets, which I I tried and I do not recommend using. Um, but you can assign any of your own user presets or third-party presets, um, which makes it really quick to sort of cruise through and just flip between eight of your favorites to see uh, if they would make a good starting point for that photo. They have little scroll wheels, and um, it allows you to change like the hue, saturation, luminance stuff. They have little wheels that allow you to do that instead of knobs, which is, again, really quite fun. And to be honest, it's just nice to have a tactile interface for this stuff you know because we do a lot of clicking around and mousing around and this is you know it gets your hands on something different um so yeah that's that's kind of like my my early impressions of the thing yeah i was gonna say that you mentioned the macbook pro keyboard and the single thing that i like most about the loop deck is that it is just a giant middle finger to the touch 100 <laughs> percent. yeah like nonstop. Yep. <laughs> like this is touch interface no thank you this is how you do it yeah is the exact opposite philosophy. It totally is. And it totally is. And that that's, yeah. uh, to me, that's kind of appealing. Like, I, I appreciate this kind of tactility. Um, so the question really is, is uh, not philosophically does it make sense, but on the execution side, did they did they fulfill their promises? Um, so that's what remains to be seen. I'm impressed, man. Like, I'm just looking at the website right now, and there's a lot of cool stuff here. I'm not sure why they would go with such a massive button for the rotate and crop part. Like, that is, you know, you do it at the beginning and a lot of times like rotate, you can hit the little auto thing in Lightroom where it automatically adjusts like horizontally, vertically, like all of the different things. Like you can have a, you know, your tall buildings in a picture are straight and all those kinds. of things. You hit the button once and boom, like it's done. I don't know why they had to waste so much space on this gigantic rotate crop number or knob, but 
everything else seems pretty cool. Like I'd love to be able to hammer through eight different presets, you know, like really quickly while looking at the screen. And anyway, that'd be, I guess you can sort of do that in Lightroom, but like with the mouse. Yeah. But in either way, yeah. like the, you, the, the two handed knob thing, white balance tint, brilliant that part's really cool yeah it is really cool and they've got like the the buttons that they've chosen to have permanently mapped the undo and redo getting to your brush controls the zooms uh the pick but like it's intelligently designed and and selected it's just there are some oversights i think that that i'm hoping they'll be able to address like that knob like like you said like why the hell would you make it so freaking big and then give it a task that you do very quickly, maybe once or twice. Like, it's just, it's not something for someone like me who, first of all, does not crop very much at all. It just feels wasted, right? Like I would want to use it as a navigation aid. Totally. Like that Logitech keyboard with with, the, exactly like the new, yeah. Anyway, you're totally right. You should be able to map it. Like, okay, click on something in the screen and then like spin it back and forth and make changes. Like that's what it should be doing. Not cropping. Yeah. So anyway, I guys, but, but you need a big ass knob. (laughs) Like you gotta have it. You can't <laughs> ship something like this without a big ass knob. Right, but we want the big ass knob to do more. That's the yeah. problem. Like I feel like I'm not getting enough opportunity. What to, would you have chosen? I would. I would want like the bare minimum for me would be to navigate through photos in the library view. That's like basics. I want to be able to do that. That would have been a good one, yeah. Or, or you know, like I don't want to give it a three star rating. I don't want to give it a four star rating. I want to give it a three and a quarter rating. So let me like press down the three and then spin the little knob to the left and I get a three and a quarter <laughs> rating. <laughs> something more than cropping. Problem solved. <laughs> or, or even something like holding down the function button and scrolling to select, to make a mass selection. Um, you know, there's there's things, there's things. Um, so I'm going to give them a whole list of suggestions in my review, but I, I did want to just mention the... Uh, <laughs> I did want to mention the first impressions because they're very positive. Like overall. Hey, how about nice. the price? Uh, well, yeah. I mean, I, I don't know. I don't typically comment on price because I assume that if they could make it more affordable, they would. And maybe the next gen will be. Um, it's Fair yeah. enough. Okay. Basically, the, the question to answer is, does it give enough benefit over mouse and keyboard Lightroom to justify that cost? That Yeah, that's like a $500 keyboard. Yeah, essentially. Essentially is what it is. Yeah. So I don't know. Yeesh. It's tough. It's a tough sell, I, but you it's going to save a lot of time. Yeah, that's the question, right? Is does it save enough time to justify that? Because if if your time is worth that much, then if it's saving you hours of time, then you know it might balance out. Um, but I, you know, I can't make that judgment for people. So, but you know, what's probably going to save the most time out of all of these things: not using Lightroom <laughs> in the first place. Yeah. <laughs> oh boy, shots fired! Shots fired! But that's okay. <laughs>